Take your copy of God's Word and open it with me this morning to the book of Joshua. We're going to be in chapter 20 this morning. We're going to read all nine verses. Joshua chapter 20. We'll start in a moment in verse 1. The words will always uh, also be on the screen. I was 11 years old when I moved to Oklahoma, and one of the very first things I learned after I got there was where to go in case of a tornado. They have a lot of tornadoes in Oklahoma. Now, fortunately, I never saw one. I never experienced one. But I always knew where to go just in case. Down by the creek, there was a little concrete shelter. And that was our place of refuge. Many people have used this very room as a place of refuge when hurricanes have come. I remember a few years ago when Hurricane Irma passed by, there were about 60 people who took refuge right here in this sanctuary. And since Hurricane Irma passed by on a Sunday, I decided to do what I always do. I stood right here and I preached And uh, I learned on that day that people pay a lot better attention to your preaching when they can literally hear the roar of a hurricane passing over them. I told our sound team, we ought to pipe that sound in every Sunday. But this place where we are gathered for worship was literally a place of refuge during a hurricane. But you don't have to go through a literal storm in order to need a place of refuge Many times we need a refuge, someone to turn to when we are battered by the storms of life, someone who will protect us when we are attacked, a place where we can turn when we are at the end of ourselves and we need grace and we need strength. Did you realize that over 40 times in the Bible, God is described as our refuge? For example, Psalm 46 verse 1 says that the Lord is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Well, last week in our study of Joshua, we looked at the battle of the five kings in chapter 10. That was not the last battle that Israel fought, but it was the definitive battle that Israel fought after entering the promised land. The following chapters, I'm not going to preach through them, but most of these chapters describe how the land was divided, which tribes of Israel received which portions of the promised land. Then we come to chapter 20, and here we see this very interesting passage. If you're new to studying the Bible, and if you've never heard this before, this might even seem a bit strange to you, but in Joshua chapter 20, there's this interesting passage about what is called the cities of refuge. Well, you're wondering, well, what is that? In ancient Israel, they had entire cities that were set aside and designated as official cities of refuge. And if a person back then accidentally killed someone, they didn't mean to, but they killed somebody, they could flee to one of these cities of refuge. 
These cities were kind of like places of political asylum where a person could find security and justice, a place where a person could remain safely until they had had a fair trial. There are actually four major passages in the Old Testament that talk about these cities of refuge. Now, I don't know about you, but I hear that and I wonder, I ask myself, oh my goodness, how many accidental killings were taking place back in those days that they needed all of these cities set aside for that very purpose that there would be so much scripture dedicated to this topic. Well, I believe that these cities of refuge receive a prominent place, a special place in the Word of God because they point to Jesus Christ. We're going to see once again, as we have done so many times before in our study of Joshua a beautiful picture of the gospel in this passage. And I want us specifically to see three ways in which these cities of refuge in ancient Israel point us to the refuge that God is offering us in Jesus Christ. And first of all, we're going to see in this the provision of refuge. The provision of refuge. Look at verse 1. The Lord also spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city as one of them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. Then if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally but did not hate him beforehand. And he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house to the city from which he fled. Now, I am curious be honest, how many of you here today are what we would call accident-prone? You know what I'm talking about? You are accident-prone. You trip, you fall, you break things, you get a discount when you go to the emergency room because you're a frequent customer. And somehow, some way, wherever you go accidents just seem to happen. Well, every family has such a person, and if that is you, then boy, let me tell you, this passage of Scripture is for you. Imagine that there is an accident where tragically somebody dies. Now, we don't have to imagine too much because in Deuteronomy 19, when this law was given, Moses 
actually gave an example of what this might look like, something that could happen, and how this would work. So Moses said, imagine there are two guys that are out there and they're chopping down trees. And back then, you know, tools weren't made as well as they are today. So Moses said, what if one of those guys is chopping down a tree, but when he swings his axe, the axe head goes flying off the handle? And what if that big heavy axe head goes flying through the air and hits the other guy in the head, killing him? Now that's the example that Moses gave. Now imagine that the family of the man who was killed, they don't think that it was an accident. They think there's something more to this. And so what do they do? They send someone from their family after that guy who was swinging the axe. Verse 3, you noticed, it mentions the avenger of blood. Now, let me pause here. When you see the word avenger in this passage, young people, get Iron Man out of your mind. Captain America, Thor. No, that is not the type of avenger that we're talking about here. You should be DC fans anyway, but that's another sermon for another day. But I want you just to get that thought out of your mind. There was this other kind of avenger. In Scripture, it's called the avenger of blood. The Hebrew word is Goel. Back in ancient days, they didn't have police. They didn't have crime scene investigators. They didn't have these overly complicated justice systems. They didn't have prisons. And so when someone was killed, it was the Goel or the nearest of kin, that close family relative it was their responsibility, and they would go out and seek vengeance on behalf of the family. So imagine, God forbid, that you accidentally killed someone. You didn't mean to. It was not intentional. But then somebody comes to you and says, you better look out, because that guy's big brother, and boy is he big, his big brother is coming for you. What are you going to do? You're going to run to the nearest city of refuge. That's what you would do. You would run to that city, get there as quickly as possible, and when you got there, the Bible says you went to the gate of the city, and there you would speak to the elders of the city, and you would tell them your side of the story, you would explain the situation, and then they would allow you into the city and you would stay there until the trial. Now, once you were inside of the city, the avenger could not touch you. You were safe. Later on, they would have a trial. If you were found guilty, they would throw you out of the city where, guess who, the avenger would be waiting for you. Now, on a practical level, what this did was, this eliminated mob rule, this uh, guaranteed that somebody received a fair trial, but on a spiritual level, it's not really hard for us to see how this was a picture of Jesus Christ. You realize the author of Hebrews 
almost certainly was thinking about these cities of refuge when he wrote his letter. And in Hebrews chapter 6, he said, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. He is talking about Christ, and he refers to him as our refuge to which we flee. You see, we were being pursued by our avenger. We were being pursued by the avenger of the devil, the avenger of sin, the avenger of death. And there is for us just one refuge, one place to go where we can escape the eternal consequences of our rebellion against God, and that is Jesus Christ. He is our refuge, and just like in those days the refugee was safe once he was in the city, likewise, over a hundred times in the New Testament, the Bible says that we are in Christ. And in Christ, the avenger cannot harm us. In Christ, we are protected. Jesus is our city of refuge from death and hell. Now, in Joshua chapter 20, the person inside of the city of refuge was safe. But did you notice when I read those verses a moment ago, he had to remain in the city because the avenger would be waiting for him. He could not leave. He could not go home. He could not see his family or his friends. But then verse 6 said, he had to stay there until the death of the high priest. Now, that's kind of interesting. The death of the high priest was kind of like an ancient statute of limitations. But back then in Israel, Israel had many priests, but there was the high priest. And if the high priest, whomever that was at any given time, if he died, it was as if your guilt was placed upon him, and suddenly upon his death, you were automatically free to go. And you could leave, and the avenger could not touch you, even outside of the city of refuge. Well, once again, in Hebrews chapter 6, in that same passage I quoted a moment ago, Jesus is referred to as our high priest. Back in the Old Testament, the high priest would go into the temple, and he would offer in the Holy of Holies a sacrifice. An animal died but Jesus is our high priest, and he offers the sacrifice of himself. He laid down his life. His own blood was shed. And our high priest died because he died. We are set free. Now, you may have noticed when I was reading these verses a moment ago, there is one area where this analogy doesn't seem to fit this city of refuge you notice in Joshua chapter 20, these cities of refuge were specifically for the innocent. If you killed someone, but it was an accident, you didn't mean to, you were innocent. Well, we know that we are not innocent. We are guilty. We are sinners. 
We've broken God's law. We're sinners by nature and by choice. But even here, we see these cities of refuge pointing to Jesus. Because I want you to notice what happens. In their cities of refuge, the guilty were thrown out and executed. But what happens in our city of refuge, which is Jesus? In our city of refuge, the guilty are not cast out and executed. No, in this city of refuge, it was the innocent Jesus who was executed so that the guilty could live. Thousands of years ago, folks, God told Israel to set aside these cities of refuge, and he did that not just for them. He did that for us. He did that in order to teach us about the refuge that we have in Jesus Christ. And just like in Joshua chapter 20, there are no options. There's, there's nowhere else to go, no other refuge. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And so praise God for this provision of refuge that God has given to us in Jesus. We see the provision of refuge, but there's something else I want you to notice in this passage. We also see the proximity of refuge. We see the proximity of refuge. In verse 2, we're told that these cities of refuge were part of the law that God gave these instructions through Moses for the creation of these cities. Part of those instructions was that these cities were supposed to be accessible. And so if you were to actually look at them on a map, you would see that they were spread out throughout Israel. Look at verse 7. So they appointed Kadesh in Galilee and the mountains of Nephtali, Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, which is Hebron, in the mountains of Judah, and on the other side of the Jordan, by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezer in the wilderness on the plain from the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth and Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan and Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. Several things I want you to notice about the placement of these tribes. First, no matter where you were in Israel, you were never far away from a city of refuge. And that was on purpose. There was always a city of refuge nearby. In the book of Deuteronomy, God even commanded that roads be built to these cities of refuge. And historical and archaeological evidence tell us that these roads that they built to the cities of refuge, they were twice as wide as the other roads that they built. And these roads, unlike other roads, they were always well-maintained so that the man or woman who was fleeing could get to them as quickly as possible. They built a bridge over every stream. They removed every obstacle. At every intersection, you would see a sign with that Hebrew word, miklat, and there would be an arrow that was pointing just in case someone was running, they were fleeing, and yet they were lost. They couldn't find the city of refuge. They didn't know where to go. They'd come to that intersection, and there would be a sign pointing to them the way if that's not enough, all of these cities were either on mountains or they were highly elevated so that you could easily see them from a distance. And these cities were always open. 
Now, these cities of refuge, they were spread out so that they were close to everyone. That is important because the Bible tells us that our refuge, Jesus, is even closer to us. How close is our refuge? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10. Paul said, he is as close as your mouth. How close is that? Paul said, he is as close as your heart. How close is that? And then he said, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. In other words, he is as close as the mention of his name. He is always just a prayer away. That's how close this refuge is. That's how ready and willing God is to save you and give you that refuge when you need it. Just like in those ancient days, our city of refuge is close. But just like in those ancient days, we have a job, we have a responsibility, and it is our job to make sure that the roads are prepared it's our job to make sure that the way is clear and that the obstacles are removed. It's our job to make sure that the message has been announced and that everyone knows that there is refuge in Jesus, that everybody knows that everybody is welcome. You know, we know that Jesus is the city of refuge in Joshua 20, but I believe that there's a sense when we read this passage in which the church is meant to be a place of refuge where the broken and the weary and the tired can come and find refuge in Jesus Christ. I believe there is a sense in which God wants First Baptist Church of Homestead to be a city of refuge of sorts for Homestead and Miami-Dade County. They need to know that this refuge is near. But I want you to notice something else about it. You need to understand that even though this refuge is close, it's not enough just to be close. You do have to enter in. There's another story that I really don't have time to to tell all of the details, but you can read it later in 2 Samuel chapter 3. There's a story about a man named Abner. And Abner was involved in a killing like this. And there was an avenger coming after him, a man by the name of Joab. Well, the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel chapter 3 that Abner, the man who was fleeing, he was at Hebron, which you may have noticed a moment ago was one of the six cities, the cities of refuge. Well, the Bible tells us that Abner was right there by the gate, and Joab said to him, hey, Abner, look, hey, I just want to talk to you, that's all. C come here. And he foolishly listened. And the Bible says that Joab killed him by the gate of Hebron, by the city of refuge. And when King David heard what happened, you, remember, you know what King David did? He said, he said that Abner, he died as a fool. Now, why did he die as a fool? He died as a fool because he was literally 
right beside the gate to the city of refuge. He was one step away from safety, one step away from security. All he had to do was take one more step and walk in. Now, how foolish would it be to be one step away from refuge but not take that final step? And, oh, there's a spiritual lesson here as well. How foolish would it be to be one step away from spiritual refuge and salvation and forgiveness and eternal life in Jesus Christ, but then not be willing to take that final step of faith by following him and receiving him as Savior and Lord. Yes, the refuge that we have in Christ, it is near. It's close. Praise God for that. But we must enter in One more thing I want you to notice about these cities of refuge. We see the provision of refuge, the proximity of refuge, but we also see some of the blessings of refuge. I want you to notice these Hebrew names. It may not be evident when you just read through these verses in the English, but uh, for a Jew in ancient days, they would have noticed that these names... Uh, These cities were very specific. They were very meaningful. They were very important because these names all said something about the refuge that spiritually God was offering to them. The very names of these cities tell us a thing or two about the refuge that God is offering us in Jesus Christ. For example, just look at these names. Kadesh comes from the Hebrew root meaning holy or sanctified, to be made righteous. Well, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In Christ, sinners are made into the righteousness of God. Shechem means shoulder. It reminds us of that Good shepherd who left the 99 sheep to go looking for the one. You remember that story? And when he found the one lost sheep, the sheep was so tired, so weary. So what did the shepherd do? The Bible says he placed upon his shoulders. And on his shoulders, he carried him back, rejoicing all along the way. Jesus is that good shepherd. He shoulders us and he carries us when we're weary and we feel like we can't go on Bezer means fortress. Jesus is our fortress. In him we are secure. Ramoth means heights. The Bible says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, and with him we are seated in the heavenlies. Hebron means an alliance, to form an alliance with someone who will not let you go. Jesus said in Hebrews 13, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That word golan, in the Hebrew it's rare, but many scholars believe that it comes from the word meaning joy. Well, Peter said that in Christ we have inexpressible and glorious joy. Now you put all this together, he saves us, he carries us, He protects us. He brings us to new heights where he promises never to leave us or forsake us while filling our lives with joy. Oh, the benefits 
that come with this refuge that we have in Christ. Now, for whom will God do all of this? Notice verse 9. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwelt among them, that whoever killed a person accidentally might flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. These cities were for the Jews, but notice they were also for the stranger, even for the Gentile who was in their midst. Anyone could come to these cities and find refuge. And back in those days, cities always closed their gates at night for security purposes. Oh, but the cities of refuge, their gates remained open all the time so that anyone at any time who needed refuge could come in and find it. Well, likewise, Jesus said, whosoever comes to me, I will in no way cast out. Whosoever. Peter said in Acts 2, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone at any time can come to this city of refuge that is Jesus Christ. When I read about these cities of refuge and what they mean, I'm reminded of a beautiful story by a guy named E.M. Bounds. He was a pastor, a Methodist pastor in the early part of the 19th century, almost 200 years ago. Now, he wrote a number of books on prayer that are still very popular today. But in one of those books that Ian e. Bounds wrote, he talks about this experience that, that he had where he was on the front porch of a cabin out in the country. And he saw a fawn that was running frantically, this little baby deer that was running for its life, and there were these dogs that were running behind it. And apparently that fawn saw Mr. Bounds standing outside of this cabin and started to run right towards him. And as he's watching, he apparently wasn't sure whether or not uh, the fawn was going to make it because the dogs were closing in. But sure enough, that fawn ran up on the porch and actually pressed its tiny head between his knees. And when he did, without giving it any thought, Mr. Bounds just picked it up. He held it in his arms and he kind of fought off the dogs and, and, and ran inside of the house. But he wrote about this experience, and I want to, write to uh, read to you what he said. He said, I felt that all the dogs in the West could not and would not capture that fawn after its weakness appealed to my strength. I like that. Maybe you feel like that fawn this morning. You've been chased by the dogs of your sin and the dogs of your past and the dogs of this world, the dogs of shame, your enemies, your circumstances. Your weakness can appeal to his strength because there is a Savior and you can run to him. And he is and he will be your refuge. He will pick you up 
and he will save you. Do you join me as we take a moment, as we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your wisdom, you instructed your people thousands of years ago to set aside these cities of refuge. And we can see from the New Testament perspective that these cities of refuge were not just for them, but they were also for us. That these cities of refuge were meant to point us to Jesus. And the fact that we can find the refuge that we need in him. And God, we want to thank you because all of Scripture points to Jesus. It really is all about Him. And so I pray, first of all, for that person here today who perhaps has been saved, but it seems like they are just running from the dogs of their past or the dogs of sin or the dogs of their circumstances. And God, they, they desperately need to come to you once again and experience refuge so I pray for them that you'd lift them up this morning, that you would encourage them, that you would renew and restore their faith in you, that you would reveal any areas of disobedience in us today, any area where we simply need to confess and repent before you, and that we would experience you again and again as our refuge spiritually. Father, I pray also for those who are here today who... Uh, perhaps they're like Abner standing at the gate of the refuge just one step away and they simply need to take that step of faith by placing their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. God, I pray for them that this would be the day that they would do just that. That they would see that they are guilty, that we are all guilty before you, that we have broken your law. And on our own, by ourselves, we have no hope. We could not save ourselves. But you sent Jesus to die on the cross for us, that he took our punishment on himself. He was crucified. He was punished. He died for our sins. And I pray they would realize that because Jesus did all of that and because he rose again, he's the only refuge to whom we can turn, the only one who can save us. And so I pray that this would be their day that they call upon him and that they are indeed saved. And Father, I want to pray as well as in a few moments as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. God, I, we remember your word tells us that we are to do so in a manner that is worthy. We cannot be worthy. We cannot deserve this. But God, help us to do so in a manner that is worthy. Help us to see and recognize and confess any unconfessed sins in our lives today, that we would be just restored to close fellowship with you, and that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we would be reminded of the price Jesus paid and our participation in the cross, that it was for our sins that he suffered and he bled and he died, and that you would, again, fill our hearts with a holy sense of gratitude this morning and we thank you, God, for all these things and for what you're going to do. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.